You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Going from rags to riches by harnessing your purpose, power, and peace. We are super excited today to be joined by Gina Yarish. And Gina, did I pronounce your last name properly? I was just going to say, like, that's a first. (laughs) Welcome to the show. And I want to share with our uh, viewers and our listeners that um, outside of being the author of this number one best-selling book titled Harness Your Purpose, Power, and Peace, that you also have extensive, extensive experience in real estate and that you are also an accelerator coach, which we're going to talk about that. That's going to be amazing. And you're a serial entrepreneur. So you're in great company <laughs> with Rich and I and many of our, many of our viewers. Well. And just, just before we went, went live, we also uh, know that you're, you've been involved in the Genius Network, which is mm-hmm. the Jason's involved, which is a great organization. So a lot of great uh, conversation topics here. We're excited to have you, Gina. And, you know, as we, we mentioned, we do have a lot of our clients and people who listen to the show that are, you know, either very interested or are very knowledgeable about real estate, real estate investment. And with 30 years in real estate, 28 of those as a broker, you will have a lot of uh, good insights there. I'm sure it will bridge the gap a little bit between what you've seen in your years in business mm. and how it translates to helping people harness that, uh, that purpose, uh, power, and peace. So exciting. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jason and Richard. It's great to be here. We are excited. And I love to begin by, because, you know, you mentioned that having gone from rags to riches and and once orphaned as an infant to a multimillionaire today, take us through that, that journey, Uh, give our viewers and our listeners a sense of, you know, what, firstly, what inspired you to write this uh, best-selling book? You know, life is a journey. Um, In the beginning, being orphaned as an infant, I was born down in Florida Um, I was very fortunate to be adopted into a family out of New Jersey, a very large Italian family. Uh, My mom, my mother had 13 brothers and sisters. So um, I was very well loved. I can say that much, but I still suffered internally with a lot of different mental things about Mm. who I was and identity and what I was supposed to do and, you know, things like that. Um, the mental thoughts that I had were more of my father that raised me had a real estate and insurance office. So at a very young age, I started working there doing like accounts receivables and filing and things like that. I was still in high school when I started writing insurance policies and I thought, okay, well, I can do this. But then I thought, no, I can't be tied to a desk. This isn't fun. And so I got more into the real estate side of things and started writing contracts before I was even licensed. Um, So the journey has been quite an interesting journey. Um, You know, what I started to realize as I was selling residential real estate was I started selling like multi, uh, like mixed use pieces of property. And I had bought my first mixed use piece of property when I was 21 years old. And I was really successful with the tenants that I had, the buildings that I had, you know, my, uh, you know, my net income coming out of them that people started buying more and more you know, um, mixed use properties to me for, from me. And then they would ask me to manage it because they would come back to me and say, Hey, I have a problem with my tenant. What do I do? And things just kept spiraling in that direction, which was not because, you know, it wasn't really planned. It just happened. 
Right. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I started to realize like, wow, I was making a lot of money for other people. Like, why don't I start doing this for myself? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was good at protecting other people's assets, but you know, it was like, hello, you can do this yourself. And, and so I started to learn how to just actually play the live game of Monopoly. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's a great I could, analogy. I could literally like there could be like four people playing with me, but I swear I could play for all of them. You know, nobody, right. nobody really got in the game. And I just realized I was playing live monopoly with real estate. Um, one thing led to another. And uh, before long, though, the interesting thing, mentally, I felt as if I was shackled to this career now. Right. Like I. I owed this family something. And right. so now I was going to forever be in this position, never giving the opportunity really to explore myself. Unfortunately, things went a little sour at some point, got a little challenging. I stood my ground um, and I stepped out of the real estate industry. I became an absent broker for about 12 years. And I had a manager that managed my office. Um, and I was more the insurance my dad had sold off years ago. And so I was more real estate and property management. Okay. Um, and I had a heart catheterization by the time I was 35. Oh my. So the amount of stress being in the real estate industry, thinking of, you know, what we're originally taught is be available for anyone and everyone seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because if you want to make a sale, you've got to be ready. Right. But what I came to realize um, was that I didn't have to be that person. If people wanted me, I could make my hours. You right. know, but all of these different beliefs that I had and the way I was operating, I had four kids. I had a husband that was a sheriff's officer that worked midnights. Um, you know, it was a crazy schedule. And so my beliefs, my habits, my way of thinking had put me in the hospital, having the heart catheterization. And I'll never forget the day the doctor came in the room. And, you know, there's always this, all right, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I'm like, give it to me. Um, the good news was there was nothing wrong with me. The bad news was, the doctor said to me, was in my head. Now, I want you just to envision for a moment, this is a young, 35, sassy Jersey girl, right? Because that's where I was raised. I was like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. I had just come out from being under the table, so I had a little too much anesthesia still left in me. Had I not had that anesthesia, I probably would have gotten off the table and decked them. <laughs> Right. Because I, I didn't understand what he was like. I thought he was telling me that there was something mentally wrong with me. Right. And that wasn't the case at all. But I didn't know that. I he was trying him. to indicate that it, you were it, it was self-manifesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we my husband and I had bought a 160 acre parcel in northeast Pennsylvania to retire to. Now we used to come up here. We had a big 35 foot travel trailer at the time. And in the winters we would come up here and all of my kids are hunters and so forth. But the kid, two of our kids were still home and said, I don't get it. Why can't we just move to Pennsylvania? And so we took the opportunity going, okay, we can make this work. Not knowing the how, right. I, we're going to make this work. My husband was eligible for retirement from the sheriff's department. Um, we built our home. We relocated here. I commuted back and forth to New Jersey for 12 years. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> the craziest. Thing. No kidding. No idea. It was when I think back to that time when I finally said I'm done and I sold it to the manager that I had. Um, it was like a 
a shackles that had been around my legs and think of like thousands of boxes attached to it, like chain after chain, after chain, after chain, after chain, that had just been dragging me down that I couldn't let go. And as soon as I said, I'm finished, it was the most uplifting, freeing thing that I had ever done. And now I can just be me. Wow. Wow. That is such an interesting story. I think that a lot of our listeners will resonate with that because I'm sure, you know, as you're listening into this, you've probably experienced that feeling of being shackled by something Mm -hmm. and whether it's a a negative energy of a person or a job Mm -hmm. or, or something that you've been, you know, forced into doing that you just thought was your path, but you never really felt like you fit in. Uh, I know I've experienced that. And so to hear that story, Gina is, I think it's so powerful because Mm -hmm. There's so much to take away and learn from that through self-reflection to recognize, okay, what else could I be doing? What could I be? And it's, mm. it ties into something we talk a lot about, which is opportunity cost. And so what was the opportunity cost on that 12 years of life energy, mm. that, which you could have been using it for, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you don't know. I mean, it's kind of every one of those things that, you know, when you finish one door closes, another door opens, but so often we're afraid to close that door because of comfort, um, you know, because of patterns, because of what's expected of us. I mean, there's a thousand reasons why, but gosh, as soon as we close the door, it's like, bam, like things just start popping up and you're like, oh my God, like the butterflies are flying. The heart is like palpitating, you know, your face is turning red and you're going, oh my God, what do I do first? (laughs) (laughs) And so what, what key message do you want readers to take away from your book? I think the big thing is, is that, you know, it's so important to take the time and stop and think about what's most important to you in life, what you want to be able to create while you're here, as well as leave behind. Right. Yeah. That that is awesome. And, you know, the good thing about, you know, starting fresh or like you said, you know, you really felt just the whole weight of the world lifted off your shoulders and that you could be you. Is yeah. that, you know, when you look ahead to what's next and, and how that, you know, evolves for you, you get to decide what to bring with you from, from your past. and If what, you want to. Yeah. And what to leave behind. Yeah. And so talk to us a bit about the, the coaching that you're doing now. You know, oh. I found in when you and I were introduced to one another and, and you were sharing with me you know, what, what the nature of your business is and how you're impacting people's lives and how you're coaching. I just found it really interesting. And so maybe share a bit of that. Well, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the first part of my life and my career, I was doing what I was expected to do. The second part of my life, um, it was something that just kind of happened. And it was, and I would sit there in the field and I'd look up at the sky and I'd be like, really? Like me? Like, I don't have any experience. Like, why would I be doing this? But every step of the way, it was so easy for me to keep doing what I was doing. Now, I just want to say, like, let's put our readers on, uh, readers, let's put our listeners on edge a little bit. So I help entrepreneurs, small business owners, salespeople, those that struggle with things like reluctancy to make a call, fear of selling or having those closing conversations, um, self-sabotage themselves. I was really good at that. You know, so if you're in the sales industry and that's something that you do, I use a 1200 pound package that gives you a simple solution to sales. So could you guess what that 1200 pound package is? I mean, can you imagine me like delivering it or putting it in the mail? (laughs) 
I just pictured an elephant showing up at my door, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, wow. This is <laughs> close. But, um, when I moved to Northeast Pennsylvania, I had always wanted to have a horse. And so not to, I didn't only have one horse. We got three horses to start with and I had to find someone to help me. I needed to learn, like I had a horse earlier on, but you know, I was kicked to go pull the stuff, you know, kind of traditional stuff. I really wanted to learn about horses. So I started studying natural horsemanship through a gentleman out of Colorado, Pat Prelly. Mm-hmm. Well, about six months into playing with the horses and learning about these seven games that Pat talks about, I realized I wasn't teaching the horse, <laughs> right? The horse was teaching me. Um, and then one thing led to another. And I was fascinated because the medicine that I had been on when I left New Jersey, I hadn't been taking in weeks and I hadn't even thought of it. Like I didn't even realize that I wasn't taking the medicine and my checkup came due. And I went to a doctor here in Pennsylvania and the doc, and thank God my husband was with me because I think if I was by myself, no one would have believed me. But the doctor said to, after they did the, um, what did they call the, I can't even remember anymore not a sonogram like an EKG like an, like an echo, or echocardiogram yeah. or something um the doctor said why are you here and I thought mm, I don't know the cardiologist from New Jersey said that I have to you know continue to go to the doctor he said there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wow. wrong with you like how does that happen what what changed was now are, I, are we sure it's because he wasn't under the threat of getting punched and decked out like the no, other no, guy no, was no. <laughs> no 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 i even so i had a um, what they called like a mitral valve prolapse and i called my family doctor back in jersey and said is this possible like could i pause like could it like literally go away and he said it's slim cases but yeah i mean it, it's not something that's um you know impossible so what I realized was my thinking patterns were changing by what the horses were, were teaching me that I was getting healthier. And, and how is it that I can help other people? It was just absolutely a fascinating way to learn from. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I studied uh, psychotherapy with horses, equine assistant learning with horses, life coaching with horses. And people just started to come to me for different reasons. Of the different reasons that they came to me, I realized the pattern. And so we put together this this pattern of 12 different reasons why they came to me. And we put them in more like a chronological psychological order in psychology. They talk about norm, storm and perform, right? So we got them to know clients would come and they, they get to know themselves in the beginning. Then we create the tension, right? We want them to be comfortable. We want them to be uncomfortable with the new comfort, right? So challenge them to, to be more comfortable in a different area and then bring it all back together again. And then all of a sudden the book came about and someone said to me, when I was doing my life coaching uh, certification, it was like, well, what would you want if you could have anything? Now you have to see the expression on my face when I'm like, all right, fine. If I just think off the cusp and I write down five things, the first thing I wrote down was I was going to write a bestseller. And then my head went in the trash and went, are you frigging crazy? You like almost failed English in school. What makes you think you can write a book? Well, go back to Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy, right? Who, not how. That's right. So I had to connect with the house. And this was, I mean, this was years ago, not that many years ago, but um, that book had just come out. So, I mean, that's a perfect example of I connected, 
I wrote the book. I connected with a ghostwriter that cleaned it up for me, connected with a publisher, connected with someone that can do the art. And it all came together and got published. Had I, you know, I didn't know that earlier on, but um, that's how the book really came about. was just people that had come to me for different reasons. And I just saw the patterns and everything started because of working with horses. I know wow. it's a hard vision to, to like, okay, so, so how do horses help me? Right? If you wow. think about, say you have a problem and you go to a family member. Your family member is going to give their opinion. They're going to tell you what you think you should do. You know, whether, it, whether it's a personal or a professional issue. Right. When you bring it to a horse and say, for instance, someone, say you, you have a team and the team's not doing what they're supposed to do or what you want them to do. Well, now put a 20, put a horse on a 22 foot line and ask the horse to do what you want it to. Right. Does the horse do what you want? Most of the time it doesn't. It has nothing to do with the horse. The horse, the metaphor is the horse is a human. So what is it that you're not clear about? What is it that you're not asking? How is it that you're not asking? What's your belief system behind what it is? Like, are you not confident enough to be asking? You know, are you communicating in a way that people are understanding? I had a group of bankers here one day. All right, we're in the arena. We've got two barrels. On top of each barrel is a saddle. We got, the, we got the boss man sitting in a chair, facing a barrel and a saddle. Behind him is his team. He can't see them. There's a barrel, a saddle, and a horse. The big guy, all he has to do is tell his team how to put the saddle on. The very first thing he said was, pick up the saddle and put it over the horse. They picked up the saddle, thump, and put it over the horse. It, fan, it fell onto the other side. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, did they just put the saddle over the horse? So how is it that your team is not communicating, like not understanding what it is that you're communicating? It's amazing when you ask humans to communicate with a horse through those nonverbal communications, you have to figure it out. It right. forces you to begin to have thinking patterns. Because otherwise, I mean, let's be honest, don't we often just think outside? Everything is outside of us. Yeah, I would say so. Right. If something's wrong, well, how do I fix it out there? You know, what's something new that I need or who do I have to get or, you know, what is it that I have to do instead of thinking that it first has to come internally from the mind. So when you force the human to quiet their mind or quiet their mouth, they have to think. I like how you uh, clarified that uh, quiet the mouth versus quiet the mind, because a lot of other things we hear is about quiet in the mind. Not that there's not value and that there is, but it's like, actually, you know, you just really kind of need to zip it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? Just yeah. be and, quiet and think. Nelson reminds me, uh, Rich, of something that Nelson used to say where he would talk about, you know, most people, generally speaking, would rather die than think. Mm. What did because Albert, you, I forget the quote, Albert Einstein said something like the hardest thing for humans to do is think in the direction of what they want. Right. Yeah. And you, you create these patterns and in order to improve or to, you know, um, become a better version of yourself or become a better leader, become a better, 
father, better husband, better, you know, uh, contributor to your community, you have to think differently. Mm-hmm. And that's something that many people just have no concept of. I don't know because if they of, don't have a concept of, or they don't have the time to, they don't make the time. Yeah. That's the key. Mm-hmm. That's the key, right? It, we hear that expression from people in our daily lives and we even say it ourselves. Mm-hmm. I haven't made the time to do that. I'm guilty. Or I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Ra- rather than thinking differently and, and saying it's not a priority. And so until I make it a priority and I'm not going to Good give luck. it my time, my time or attention. Well, or, or if I really want it done, who's someone else that can do it on my behalf or what is another way it might get done without me require, without requiring the same investment of my time and energy. So in changing the thinking process around the thing that you want, you either want it. So it's like Jason said, is it a priority? Do you want it bad enough? But then also what is another mechanism or method by which you can accomplish that objective, which I think is kind of goes along with your, your horse analogy. One thing I think is really interesting, Gina, you know, you're talking about your, your situation with your heart and the, the, the stress. So one thing that our mentor Nelson Nash uh, used to say, he would go to a, a session, he would ask people, you know, what's the leading cause of strife in the household? And people would say, say money. Okay. Well, what's the leading cause of, of, of health problems? Well, it's stress. Okay. Well, and what causes the stress? It's usually money. So it's these kind of the, the overlap there. And similarly, Nelson had quad, quadruple bypass surgery roughly around 1988. And it was through that recovery where he came back on the table. Not only did he use the lesson of his surgery to teach important financial concepts to people, but uh, he had that awakening type moment where he realized you're here to do something more with your life. And so it goes to the title of your book about harnessing that purpose and, and the power and the peace that comes with it. Because when, you're, when you get focused on what that purpose is, once it's clear to you, you're, you get to be moving in that direction. I think that's where the power comes from. If I can, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, focus it. And because you now have that like clarity, it produces a level of peace within you. Cause you know what you're doing. You, you know, mm-hmm. you get up every day and it's like, this is what needs to happen. I'm, I'm going this direction, you know, damn the torpedoes. Let's get it done. For sure. You know, um, I, I even going a little step further, when I think about stress and money, money creates stress, stress creates money, whatever. But I think it's more than that, right? If we ask ourselves, why is it money is a problem? You know, and why is it that we have stress? And it goes back to one's inability to communicate, right? Either we're, either we're frustrated and we're, you know, being extroverted and, you know, we're venting it outward or we're shutting down and then it's building up inside of us. So people's lack of communication, people's lack of clarity, all of those things, those are the, like the root of money or stress, right? You're not taking yeah. action. If you're not taking action on the things or executing on the things that you really want and you're hiding because of fear, well, then, yeah, that's going to cause stress and it's going to cause money issues, either or. So it all goes back to the internal part of, you know, thinking of if there's a problem and you're not generating money, then what is it within you that has to change so that the situation changes? That's the key. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Gina's number one best-selling book titled Harness Your Purpose, Power, and Peace, available on the Amazons. And we're going to include a, a link in the show notes. Would wholeheartedly encourage you to get a copy. And, you know, Gina, if we can go to 
uh, real estate. Now you, you back to real estate for a moment. Now you've, your experience there is vast and you've built a, a large portfolio. You talked about a foundation earlier prior to us um, starting the episode. And so what would you like to share with, because uh, we have a lot of viewers and listeners who are very active uh, real estate investors, uh, whether it's through the financing aspect, the acquisition, uh, building their own real estate portfolios for positive, you know, uh, pass- passive income. Private what lending. Share? Yeah, private lending. That's a big mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And so what what are your, you know, overall insights on on real estate as, as a whole? Um, for me, real estate started, my first purchase uh, was a VA loan. My husband was a veteran, so we had 100% financing. When the market started to change and we started to grow a lot of equity in our house, I decided to take a big leap and take some equity out of it and buy an investment. One thing led to another. I think the biggest thing with real estate is, you know, as long as you understand your market that you're in and what you're Mm -hmm. capable of doing and um, the numbers make sense, they don't necessarily have to make sense in the economy that you're in but makes sense looking at it from the trend as to where we are, because the real estate market in the States, three to five years, it's con- it, it was constantly on this roller coaster. So if it was down, then you know within three to five, it was gonna be up. When I looked at properties to buy, I looked at the potential that I could always create. So I would often pay more for a property knowing that I could create more revenue from it. So I bought a building back in the 80s. Yeah, probably late eight, no mid nineties that had only $1,600 a month in revenue coming in from it. And I paid at the time, like 220,000, which was a lot of money. I mean, just knowing those numbers go that that can't possibly work. Right. You don't even have to sit down and figure it out, but I knew how I could divide the spaces up. And we ended up generating about $6,500 a month out of that building that nobody else could see. Wow. The the one thing you identified right at the beginning was know what your own capability is. Mm -hmm. So that goes directly to you understanding about how, you know, highest and best use Mm -hmm. or seeing an opportunity or potential in something, but it's not just seeing it. A lot of people, maybe they can see something, you know, like I've heard people like, yeah, one day I want to buy an Island. Okay, great. But what are you going to do with that? Island? So, so there's being able to maybe see an opportunity. Then there's another thing to actually be able to transition what it is that you see into the end result of that, that profitable outcome. So understanding your capability, I think is so critical. I'm really, really glad that you identified that. Yeah. Looking at the bigger picture, you know, like even when we did the 160 acre property up in Northeast Pennsylvania, I looked at it from the bigger globe as to, okay, it's rural, but what's going to happen 20 or 30 years from now? Well, we're only 30 minutes outside of Scranton, which was like, you know, the sub hub of New York city. And we're only 30 minutes out of Binghamton, New York, which is, again, you know, a busy town up there as well. So over the next 20 to 30 years, it's inevitable that the land would have to continue to grow in value. So it may not be worth something today where you'd like it to be. But if you look at the bigger picture of what the potentials are, you know, and you can do, that's really, that's where the return comes from. That's the way I never, I did some flipping, but that was never my, you know, my big gig. I'll give you an example. Right now we're looking at a piece of property and uh, it's a 65 acre parcel and it has gas royalties on it right now. So it's producing about $4,000 a month in revenue. They're asking $700,000. 
I went to the owner and said, I made it, I made an offer based on showing her the potential of holding a note, how much more money she could get if she held the mortgage, a first note, and versus just getting all your money up front and what the capital gains would be and how much you'd get at the end and da 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 da. And so if the deal works out, I'm putting like the minimal amount of money down that I have to, that I wouldn't, I would have to put down 25 to 30% on raw land here in PA. And okay. That's not, that's not the case at all. So now I'm sitting there thinking, all right, what's the highest and best use of this land? You know what? We really need a store here. Someone I know that's looking for a store is Dollar General has been moving into the area and they have no spot within probably a 30 mile radius of this location. So not only will I have royalty mineral rights coming in, but if I can get a ground lease with something like a Dollar General or Dollar True or whatever it is, now I'm like, I've got a triple whammy there. Yeah. And you got low capital tied up. <clears throat> right. And the seller gets a win because they're going to earn more by earning interest on the loan payment. Plus they're, they're you know, probably scaling a tax bill, right. you know, gain, gain bill out over a longer period of time. Right. So it's a real win-win situation. Again, it's, it's now it's knowledge, action, and capability kind of coming together as a trifecta to make this deal happen. Yeah, I mean, it, just step outside your box, you know, think about what I always think about. How can I create more pass, pa- passive income? with as little of my own investment. And I've done that a bunch of times. When I bought, when we bought this land 20 years ago, we put probably like $5,000 down. We got the owner to finance the land. I think at that time we paid like 150,000 for the land, 160 acres. So that's less than a thousand dollars an acre. And um, held like a five-year balloon we knew eventually we were going to start building on it. So we'd get a construction loan. So it wasn't a big deal. So five years was okay. I mean, most people are like, no, I need 30 year loans. I need 15 year loans. Like so much happens in five years. That's it's so okay. True. It's okay to get a, you know, a five or seven year arm, make it work for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, well, it also now, starts a time clock. And then we, we talk about Parkinson's law here and, mm-hmm. you know, things like expenses, rise to equal income or, you know, like, you know, what's that deadline? When's something going to get done? Well, if you change the deadline, it's amazing what you accomplish as a human being, because a lot can happen once you have a hard deadline on something. Work expands to meet the time envelope allowed. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You know, over the years too, I think in the real estate industry, what I've noticed, mortgage companies are good to work with. It depends on the trend and where you're Mm. at as far as rates and things like that. On a commercial side of things, it's always been very positive to me to work with community banks. Even today, the best loans that I have, even though the interest is a little bit higher, have been, they've, you know, I could pick up the phone and say, I need a $100,000 credit line. Can you make it work for me? And like 48 hours later, it's done because you've built that relationship with the banks. Right. You can go in and negotiate. You know, I remember when I did my first million dollar loan, oh, I'm not the kind of like, put me in a little box, Fannie Mae, you know, approval, check off everything, not at all. And um, I said, look, this is what I can do. I can collateralize this. I could do this. I could do this. But this is what I want. I was calling the shot. You want my million dollar loan? This is the way it's got to be. And they took it. Right. I gave them enough security, but they were willing to work with me and be creative on making the financing happen. 
And it was funny because I said to them when I got that loan, and this was only a couple of years ago, I said, I'm going to pay it off in three years. And I remember the business banker looking at me going, okay, sure. <laughs> in three years. And it was funny because as I was paying down the loan, I mean, I was making $30,000, $50,000 a month payments. I would every now and then send this particular business banker a little note going, my loan is 622. My loan is 450. I'm right on track. My loan. <laughs> so it sounds like you ga- you gamified the experience a little bit. Your, your inner competitive nature. That's that uh, Jersey girl coming out a little bit there. <laughs> they have no problem giving me loans today. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking um, when I read uh, that, you know, of course you're doing uh, live training every Thursday on how to create a pitch that attracts leads and referrals. Yeah. And what I was thinking about this, when you were talking about, you, <laughs> about New Jersey, this is totally, <laughs> totally off topic, but you know, the, um, Oh God, that, that TV series that was on office, uh, no office comes out of Scranton. No, the uh, um, Jersey shore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking, because uh, this is going to sound really silly, but it's the honest to goodness truth. So on it, this would air on Thursdays, at least in this part of Canada. Okay. And people would call it, they would say Thursday is Thursday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that maybe it's, you know, your Thursdays are Thursdays. Yeah. But um, there you go. so talk to us about what you're sharing in that live training. And because again, a number of viewers, number of listeners, mm-hmm. would get a lot of value, uh, I'm sure, you know, tuning into that. So what, what can a person expect when they participate? The big thing that I noticed in the industry, no matter what our career is, I can go out and say, hey, my name is Jeannie Garish. I'm a realtor. Woo-woo. You know, like it's more of, it was an identity of who I was. But that didn't mean that I was going to get buyers and, you know, referrals just because I, I had the title of being a realtor. What right. we noticed over the years was when we talked about different problems and challenges that people had. So for instance, if you're struggling to find an investment because you haven't worked with the right realtor and you don't have a lot of assets, but I could show you how to buy your first piece of property, would you be interested? So we started to tweak how we talked and it was more of, all right, what are the problems that the industries are having based on me as an authentic person? So my experience in making money, I could talk to that space. If you think about like, say for instance, insurance, insurance agents, there's a hundred different products that you could sell. So you're basically just saying you're an insurance agent, right? But what if you had an experience? So I'll give you an example. One of my clients had a really empowered, not empowered, but um, a difficult situation with her parents when they were older. And so she completely understood long-term care. She knew it inside and out. And we focused her pitch based on, do you want your kids to make a decision for you when you're no longer capable of taking care of yourself? Would you like a simple solution to, you know, to elderly care? I forget how we put our pitch together, but every pitch is designed with a problem and a solution. Right. So I don't necessarily use my title at all. You know, I, I may just say, you know, I work with small business owners, entrepreneurs that want to be able to double and triple their revenue. 
have a simple solution to sales, but oh my God, they struggle with self-sabotage, you know, reluctancies and fears of selling. Do you know anybody that needs that help? And people go, oh me, right? Instead of I'm an accelerator coach. Right. Yeah. So we, we help them dial in based on their own authentic experience as an individual. What are you really good at? I'll give you another example. A PNC guy, property and casualty guy, came to us. We crafted his pitch. Now, he loved the trucking industry. He made over a 1,000 calls a month trying to get homeowners and auto policies. In order to re- reach his like $20,000 a month goal, he only needed to write about six policies. A 1,000 calls a month to maybe talking to 10 or 12 people. Right? That's why we say accelerate, go further, faster with less effort. Yeah. That's like, that's like a call every, every like three minutes or whatever, two minutes. That's a lot of calls, but we had to think through the process, right? Think about what you're passionate about, what you would love. And he loved the trucking industry. So he served that so well that those people came back and said, Hey, why don't you look at my homeowners? You know what? Let me just give you my auto while you're at it too. Just take care of it. Everything just started to, but instead people take all of these products that they have to offer, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, and they try to sell all of them. And that's like pushing a freaking rope up the hill. I don't know about you. Yeah. It's the difference between the uh, the general practitioner and the surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. Big Be difference. the surgeon. Be, Be the, the surgeon. surgeon. Be the surgeon. All day long. So that- we, do a, we do about a 30-minute presentation on that call. And then I take the next 30 minutes, and whoever comes on that call and wants just like this, we ask a lot of questions and there's, there's something that just triggers for me and it rolls off and they've got a new pitch, go out and start using it and get cash flow going. Right. It's not just about the pitch. We also have to get the deliverables and the mindset and everything else behind it, but let's at least start getting the cash flow flowing now. And we start with that pitch. That is awesome. And we will include uh, the link so that people can uh, hop on you know, to that. And again, we're discussing the book, the number one best-selling book, Harness Your Purpose, Power, and Peace, and definitely encourage you to get your hands on a copy. Uh, you'll be glad you did. And so Gina, are there any parting words that you'd like to share? Uh, Rich is uh, awesome at taking us across the finish line with each episode. But before that, I'd love to invite you to share any parting remarks with our audience. You know, being orphaned as an infant, there was a lot of limiting thoughts that I had about who I was and what I could do. I would highly encourage you to take the time to sit and think about the values that you as an individual person that you want and get the heck out of your own way and just take one step, right? When I, when I wrote down, I was going to write a bestseller. I just took one step. And as soon as you take one step, the other steps begin to show up. But we procrastinate because we try to figure it all out beforehand. And so just make a decision, be decisive, decide on one thing you want to do and take one step. And I promise the other steps will start to show up. If not, just call Jason or Richard. (laughs) (laughs) That's great advice. Thank you. (laughs) Love it. That's great, Gina. Now, you know, Gina, the way that we like to kind of close out our show is we always want to ask a question to get our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better at a deeper core level. And so you may not necessarily think of yourself as a superhero, 
But every time that you're doing these Thursday sessions, you're helping people create that pitch, you're actually accelerating their ability to generate cash flow, enhance their business, uh, get out of their own way. You're showing up in such a way where it's like you have a cape on. It may have horses on the cape. We're not sure yet and the insignia, but you're really making a difference in people's lives. And so our question to you would be, who do you want to be a superhero to? Interesting. I think um, if I had to put it in the simplest terms, people that feel alone, not necessarily often, you know, not, not necessarily um, orphaned, but people that feel alone in the world and they don't know who to talk to. Oh, awesome. Gina, thank you sincerely uh, for being generous with your time and joining us on uh, this episode. Uh, we just loved having you and we will have you back. And uh, we would encourage our, our viewers and listeners to, um, do two things, get your hands on a copy of Gina's book and also uh, tune in to how to create a pitch that attracts leads and referrals. It's live training every Thursday. There's also a group on the Facebooks, how to close clients quickly and make a million. And uh, so take advantage of these resources. You'll be glad you did. We're going to include that in the show notes. And if you look right over here, you're going to see a recommended playlist of additional content, additional videos that we would love for you to consume uh, to continue your journey of learning. So Gina, thank you so much again. And to all our viewers and listeners, uh, make the rest of your week great. And we'll see you again on an upcoming episode of Wealth Without Bay Street. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.